The Kansas City Chiefs are one game away from the Super Bowl, and their star quarterback is in the concussion protocol. No, come on. Someone come help us. Where are the lawyers? Surely there is a lawsuit somewhere. We got to have Patrick Mahomes. We need him. Also, elsewhere in this country, we have a new president, which means late-night comedians are going to actually have to write new material. Now, someone needs to start a GoFundMe page for these poor late-night hosts. And uh, finally, free speech is under attack. Mackenzie and I will go back to the founding era to ask Alexander Hamilton what he thinks about tweets. All this and more in this week's Debriefing of the Law. Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I am Mackenzie Smith. And Mackenzie, we have a lot to unpack this week uh, because this was a huge, significant week. We got a lot to uncover. I am assuming you know the big news that's gripping the entire nation, right? Um, Will Mahomes play this weekend? Was it a concussion? <laughs> was it not a concussion? I, who cares about what's going on in D.C.? I want to know, what is a doctor's report on Patrick Mahomes? Did you watch the um, playoff games last week? I did. What? Let's see. That game was Sunday afternoon. Yes. 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 I, you know, there were some, I think it was the, the night game on Sunday that I fell asleep during. I can't do here on the East Coast. They're like very late, so I can't do like these eight, fifteen, eight, twenty-five games. Like that's, you know, it's my bedtime after the first quarter, and it's very (laughs) difficult for me to stay awake, even if it's an exciting game. I can't. I just like I'm physically incapable. When we moved to Florida, it was so hard to watch Monday Night Football because it would go on until 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't know how they do it there on the East Coast and get up for work the next morning. But I I struggle during these playoff weeks just to focus on work. I am so caught up in the world of of my Chiefs kingdom. I really do believe, Mackenzie, that... Any day now, um, Andy Reid is going to give me a call. He said, hey, Joel, I-, I need your backup game plan. Are you ready for <laughs> us? Are you ready to come up? And honestly, coach, put me in. I have a game plan. I do that kind of preparation. So let's talk a little football because there actually is a debriefing of the law we have to do with last week's NFL game. So did you see the concussion or the hit that Patrick Mahomes endured that sent him out of the game? I did. Well, what did you think about that hit? I mean, they all look the same to me. I'm not a football, like, connoisseur. It looks – I think I said something to my husband while watching one of these games last weekend. Like, if I ever, like, played one down of contact right, right. football, like, I would just be hysterically crying <laughs> for – like, it. <laughs> if you really – it looks – so easy because they're professionals and they're amazing athletes. But if you actually stop and think about like what it probably feels like, even with all the protective gear to get tackled full speed by a 250, 300 pound linebacker. Like it's crazy that just like even on an ordinary play, let alone, you know, a concussion inducing hit like that. So I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. imagine someone the size of that lineman tackling you and taking your neck and throwing it into the ground. Um, yeah, that would probably knock all of us out. But in the world of football, as you point out, it didn't seem that bad. In fact, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's just a normal hit. Why is he struggling to get up? And and the latest word that I heard is that it actually wasn't a concussion at all. I've heard different theories, like it was a pinched nerve in the neck. Another one was some kind of nasal injury. I have no idea how your nose gets donked with those face guards. But nonetheless, I don't care as long as he's ready to play this upcoming Sunday. Uh, And so I want to get your take. Well, well, first of all, let's unpack last week's games before we move on uh, to to your picks. Did you watch the Kansas City Chiefs uh, game against uh, the Cleveland Browns? I did. I mean, you know, I'm happy for you. You I'm happy for Andy Reid. I'm like, you know, because he's our our former coach out here in Philadelphia. So you can't like can't root against him. But like, come on. I mean, you how like Cleveland has been so terrible for so long, and they're. 
win against the Steelers the week before was just, like, so exciting. I mean, I was excited, like, really visibly excited by it, which is not, which is rare for me when it comes really? to football. So, oh, my gosh, that first quarter of that game was, like, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So, right. you know, you had to be really excited for them, and they did pretty well. Like, they didn't get slaughtered so you know it's it's kind well, of a shame to see that playoff run end but you know you can't you also have to understand like the Chiefs are amazing and they're just playing football at another level in the past couple hey, of years so you know you what know. You, you said it wonderful but I want to take you to the last minute of the first half of the Chiefs game the Cleveland Browns had the ball and they were driving and Baker Mayfield threw this pass to Rashard Higgins. He caught it. He's running towards the corner of the end zone. And Chiefs defensive back Daniel Sorison is tracking him down. They're going to have a collision. Did you see that play in real time? I mean, I'm sure I did. Okay. Um, <laughs> Here's what happened. I wouldn't be able to narrate it so, like, effectively like you're doing, so go on. Oh, I can relive all of these moments. Here's what happened. Richard Higgins dove for the end zone, and he put the ball in front of him. Now, players are coached never to do that. You, you never stick the ball, unless it's the last play of the game, or it's fourth down and you don't have another down, you never just stick the ball out. Now, McKenzie, you, I assume, never played football. I, I played football, but I, even though you never played football, I can imagine you might be able to guess why it might be a bad idea to stick the ball out in front of you when another player is tracking you down. Because the ball could come loose. and Exactly. You could I mean, get a um, – let me – hold on. Okay, there's like three terms. I don't know. There's like touchback, <laughs> safety. It was one of those weird things. Yes. And so obviously the ball is not cradled into his body. There's no way to protect it. Daniel Sorensen hits the ball, and it pops loose at like the one-inch line. And here's the deal. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if that ball had went out of bounds at the one-inch line, then the offensive team, so the, you know, the Cleveland Browns, would get the ball back at the one-inch line and would score on the next plate. But if it goes out of bounds an inch further and hits the pylon, then it's called a touchback. The defense gets the ball at the 20-yard line. It's a huge, huge punishment penalty for the offensive player. That's why they are coached never to do that. Don't stick the ball out unless it's the last play of the game because guess what? We'll now have four other downs for us to score from the one-inch line, so don't stick the ball out. But that's what uh, Rashard Higgins did. Daniel Soriston hit the the, the player uh, hit Richard Higgins and caused him to fumble, which is why we have to apply the law. Because there's been a lot of controversy over this. The controversy is that Daniel Sorison led with his head. And by leading with, by ducking his head and by hitting the player, that that's an illegal act. Did you hear about that um, uh, out controversy? Yes. And I've heard about that. You know, that's it's kind of been a theme in the past couple of years with all of the, you know, concussion yes. and CTE awareness. Now, let me just say, here's why I have a problem with that rule here. And I'm going to read the rule for you in just a second. But here's why I have a problem with that. If that actually is the rule in that kind of play, now I get it when the quarterback is back there trying to throw the ball. You don't want people aiming for his head. Uh, there's all other places to aim. Don't aim for his head. Or if there's a receiver running over the middle, don't aim for his head. I get all that. But a running back who runs, you're allowed to hit that running back in the head because that's just kind of how things work. They're ducking their head. That's just how the plays. It's a bang-bang kind of play. And here, when the, the offensive player is diving, diving forward, you're diving head forward, there's no other place to hit. You are putting yourself in harm's way. I thought this was a great non-call by the referees. Even though the, this is what the rule says. I, I looked up the rule. It's, it's, it's approved by NFL clubs in March. It says if it's a foul, if a player lowers his head to initiate and make a contact with his helmet against an opponent, it does not matter where on the opponent's body that his head hits. If you lower your head to, uh, to, uh, against an opponent, that is a, uh, is a foul. But I, I'm glad they did not call that foul because I think the offensive player um, brought on that, that that situation by diving. Because if you dive, what else is the defensive player supposed to do? Just say, okay, you dove, so I got to let you score. No, I, I think that was a, a good non-call. And you might want to know the NFL 
levied no further punishment, so no punishment against Daniel Sorensen. Again, the defensive, the offensive player was not um, uh, a defenseless player. He's the one who initiated the play by diving forward. A- a- any thoughts? I mean, that's got to be like a bad day at work when you do something like that. And <laughs> now I know that it's called a touchback. What's the thing where you receive the kickoff in the end zone and you like kneel down? Touchback. Same thing. Okay. So you get see, the ball at the 20 yard line. Two separate things, and I didn't nope. know the word for one of them. But now, see, nope. you're clarifying this for me. And a safety is when you get tackled in the end zone. When the, uh, yeah, you get tackled in the end zone. So you're trying to run the ball. Uh, you know, let's say you're on offense. You're trying to run the ball out of the end zone. If you get tackled in the end zone, that is a safety. That is a much different play than when you're on the re- on defense and you receive the ball or you're the receiving team and you receive the ball in the end zone. You can kneel it down. It's called a touchback and you get the ball at the 20. See, uh, I'm so learning so much here. This this You know what? I can enjoy football. Like, I do enjoy football, right? But I think (laughs) – and I don't want to be, you know, so heteronormative here because I know there are many women who, like, have a very thorough understanding of all of these rules. But for me personally, I feel like the space in my brain – like, you know – most like my husband can watch a football game and then three days later, like you're saying right now, don't you remember that play where this happened and that happened? And I'm like, I just remember both, you know, I don't remember (laughs) these specific, I watched, we sat there and watched it together, but I couldn't tell you, you unless something extremely extraordinary happens. I can't tell you one play from the next. I could tell you probably one, maybe um, (laughs) if it's the playoffs, but I think the space in my brain that otherwise would be available for this type of information is just really filled with celebrity gossip and knowledge of the goings-on on multiple reality shows. And it's just like that space in my brain that's like, okay, here's your extra bandwidth for non-essential recreational information. It's like filled to the, like that bandwidth has been taken up and I need to like get a faster connection if I want to be able to like re- talk intellectually on any kind of level about a football game that already happened. Well, hey. You're working on me when it comes to Slurberly Housewives of Beverly Hill 90210 <laughs> or whatever it's called. So I'm going to work on you when it comes to the NFL. So here is the next thing. If you want homework, here is the homework I want you to have. And by the way, this is not just a, um, um, a routine exercise. There actually is going to be the very first female ref uh, 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 refing the Super Bowl. So there is a future for you here if you learn the rules. Uh, and you're a lawyer, so you should be able to do this. But you need to, to understand and pass interference. When do they call pass interference? When do they not? And after you figure that out, please come explain it to me. I have no idea. Okay. But, but nonetheless, my wife keeps asking me, why was that pass interference? And that other play was not... I, I got to make it up. I have no idea why one play, they called pass interference, the other one they did not. It is so hard to to adjudicate that matter. But nonetheless, I let's get... I do love the legal aspect of it, though. Like, I'll be watching a game and, th- you yeah. know, I say, like, they'll review a play, right? And I say, well, what what does it require to overturn a ruling exactly. on the field? Clear and convincing evidence. That I know. I know, you know what, what that, that is? standard of proof is. Do you know I what know that is? What? That's the standard of review. We, yeah, we use that in law all the time. Exactly. And so I'm like, that I can get, like, that I feel like I do understand. You know, it's a burden right. of proof. Who bears the burden? The challenging <laughs> right. team. What's the right. standard? Clear and convincing. I'm like, this, I got it. I got this. I could talk to you about this all day. This, this is trial work right here. This <laughs> yes. is trial prep. And so that is great. All right. I want to get your prediction now. So this upcoming week, the Chiefs are playing the Bills. Now, the Chiefs are favored by three points. And I, let's just assume, I'm not going to hold you to this, though. I'm going to put $100 on whoever you pick. But let's just <laughs> assume Patrick Mahomes is going to play. That. The word on the street is he is going to play this weekend with a little stubbed toe. But nonetheless, um, who who are you picking, Chiefs or Buffalo? And Chiefs are favored by three. What is your pick? I'm going Buffalo, and I'll tell okay. you why. Um, I think some of the great, you know, if you 
are a fan of the team in the city where you live, like that's obvious, right? But a lot of people are fans of like totally random teams. So when you ask them about it, these allegiances come from like the most random occurrences or just like random, like I know someone who lives around here, around Phil in the greater Philadelphia area, who is a Cowboys fan. And it's like, that's anathema. Like that's wow. our arch, arch that's nemesis, dangerous. right? Yes. That's dangerous. So yeah. you ask why, and they say, well, when I, I remember growing up and watching a lot of football and I really liked the silver star and I, that just like drew me to that team. And so I've always been a fan and people star. tell you things like this. So I love the Buffalo Bills. And the reason is because when I was growing up, my dad had a navy blue Bills zip front hoodie. And I loved, it was back in the okay. 90s where like it was really cool to wear vintage clothing and baggy clothing. And I wore that hoodie all the time and I loved it and it was so comfortable and ever since then I've always like kind of had an affinity for the bills so all right. there's that because your dad wore the clothing item you are going for the bills uh <laughs> and you know what that makes just as much sense as any other uh, rationale um and we both agree because we talked about this before we were, we went uh, on recording uh on record but we do like, we admire the Bills Mafia. That is one impressive group, is it Absolutely. not? That, that's what sports and life is all about. I completely agree. And, you know, it came out, like, I, I think even during the game um, last weekend that when Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the opposing team, the Ravens, got injured, the Bills fans started giving donations to Lamar Jackson's favorite charity and they just right. were really classy about it. And I do feel like, you know, there's been a lot of controversy with professional sports and, and football in particular in the past several years. And there's been a lot, like it's unfortunately like the divisions in our society have kind of bled over into that, that arena. Um, no pun intended, but like right, it, right. it really did seem like, you know, we've been saying a lot on this podcast and just generally like we really can't wait to see a return to like the kind of civility and community feeling and what a, what better place than oh. on, on a sports field. Like that's what Amazing. sports is for. It's supposed to bring people together. It's supposed to be a common purpose where you can have kind of like a friendly rivalry and, you know, it can all be, in good fun, but you get to see some amazing human athleticism and that, that all was there. And so to me, like, you know, I respect the chiefs. I admire them. I love Andy Reid. I won't be sad if either team wins, but like that storyline of the past week has been really great. And it really did lift my spirits. And that was not the first time they regularly do that. And so if, if they, if they get beat uh, or if they beat another team, whatever, they will actually send the opposing team. They'll find some charity that's, that's related to that team or that city. And they get all their guys together, you know, all through over across America, all these bills fans are called, they call themselves the bills mafia and they will send donations to that, the charity for the other team. So I guess if we get beat here in Kansas city, at least some of our charities might benefit. So yeah, that is just an amazing feel-good story. I Nonetheless, love that. yeah. And it does bring people like I I was in Los Angeles with my husband a couple years ago. And while we were out there um for a work function, there was I think an, it was either like an Eagles playoff game or it was the regular season, but towards the end of the regular season and it was like they're playing Dallas or something. And so, of course, like he had to find – he's like, well, we have to find somewhere that's playing the game. Like we can't miss this game. We right. have to we have to find somewhere. And we found a bar in L.A. called – I think it's called like Philly – Philly East or Philly West or something. And it was all like we walked in and they were serving cheesesteaks and it was all like East Coast expats, like people from the next town over from us that had the same accent, you know, and, and knew the same people. And it was just really like, it was a cool way to find community right. in 3000 miles away from where you would expect to find Eagles fans. And I think that's another thing about sports. It's like, you know, when my ex-husband moved to the United States from Italy, like finding a group of 
Italian national soccer team fans was like really important for him. Like that really right, right. like helped him find a sense of community here. And I think that's, you know, not to be too cheesy about it, but that's like something that sports really can do for people and like in its best aspect does do. So I really like I really like that part of it. All right, so I am, I'm sure, surprised to no one. I'm going to pick the Chiefs, uh, <laughs> even though I'm going to have to give you three points. Uh, yeah, the Chiefs, I think, are going to take this one. Patrick Mahomes will be healthy. Uh, our receiver, Andrew Reid, is going to be amazing with his game plan here, and Eric Bieniemy. Uh, Buffalo does not have a running game to speak of, and so they're going to be one-dimensional. And uh, and so the Honey Badger is going to pick off a couple of passes that uh, Allen's going to throw, and we're going to get about a 14-point lead and we're not going to look back. Uh, That's my prediction uh, for this week. All right, next game. Packers are playing the um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's got the Battle of the Bays. Uh, You got Green Bay versus Tampa Bay. You got two future GOAT Hall of Famers, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, of course, is from the New England McCheater fame. Uh, They love to (laughs) cheat to win their Super Bowls. But nonetheless, who are you picking in that game? I'm picking Green Bay. Like, you can't – I mean, you have to – again, I respect Tom Brady. He's obviously a phenomenal athlete um, and and a vegan to boot. Like, sometimes you see, like, what he does and you're like, gosh, this guy doesn't even eat a cheeseburger after his games. Like, that's really incredible. And by all accounts, he's the most extraordinarily disciplined, rigorous person. So you have to, you know, respect what he's done. But, like – Ugh. I mean, first of all, it's just so refreshing not to see New England anywhere in the playoff lineup. But, like, do we have to see Tom Brady in another Super Bowl? Like, it's just so annoying. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, like, has had an amazing career. He also is at the tail end of it, but he hasn't won as much. So how do you not, like, want that for him? You know what I mean? Right, right. Now, I agree with you with Tom Brady. We are sick and tired of Tom Brady. Though I can say, as much as I'm tired of Tom Brady, I can't stand Bill Belichick. I mean, he is a cheater. It has been proven that he cheated uh, for that first Super Bowl. Took it away from the um, uh, from the St. Louis Rams at that time. Kurt Warner, you know, the greatest show on turf. They had... They had uh, illegally taped their walkthroughs. They knew their first pl- all the first 14 plays they were going to play in the game. And yet, they, so they won that Super Bowl. They cheated their way to it. And uh, so I, I don't like Bill Belichick. So I really would love for Tom Brady to just kind of cement that it wasn't Belichick, it was Brady that was the primarily responsible for the Patriots' dynasty. But, but I'm with you. I, I want to see the Packers beat them. I, I just, I do not want to see Brady win. That being said... I am picking uh, the Tampa Bay. Uh, <laughs> I get three points here. I, you cannot vote against uh, Brady. If my money's going on the line, you know Brady's going to control that clock, and Aaron Rodgers is only going to get a couple of shots at it there in the in the late stages of the third and fourth quarter. Brady will go on his patent eight to nine to ten minute drives. Aaron Rodgers won't ever get the ball back, and uh, I think that they will um, uh, be, be victorious and play my Chiefs in the Super Bowl. All right. Well, that's a. I, I could talk about football all week long, so I but probably should move on. But how is that even going to happen? You can't have a red team versus a red team in the Super Bowl. They have to have different color of outfits. <laughs> it just if doesn't int- work. Like aesthetically, very astute observation. it's not pleasing to me. Right. And I don't know who it is. I think the home team gets to choose what collars they want to wear. Uh, but, hey, you know, you brought up a very interesting point. Who gets to choose the collars and then what collars will they choose? Uh, and so, hey, we'll, we'll stay tuned. We'll, we'll find out. Hopefully we <laughs> won't find out. I want the Packers to win. All right. Well, there was another thing that went on this week over there in D.C. Let's see. It was post-riots. Um, oh, it was the inauguration. We have a new president. I know you were celebrating. Uh, what do you, Anything jump out to you about the whole inauguration ceremony? I mean, I got to admit. I slept through it. I, I did not watch a single second of it. I read a little bit about it, but uh, I have not seen any other inaugurations since. I saw Reagan's, but outside of Reagan's, I haven't seen any other ones. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's totally ceremonial, right? Like, it doesn't have any, like, actual import in terms of, you know, like, policy making or anything like that. So it's it's totally just ceremonial. I did live stream it, like, I'm from the corner of my 
computer at work. And for me, like the biggest takeaway was what a fashion show. I mean, it was <laughs> like the, the fashions from Lady Gaga all the way to my favorite outfit of the day, Bernie Sanders and his knit mittens. Like it was just, I mean, I, I did feel like, you know, we've all lived through this horrendous pandemic. Um, people haven't been out and about and socializing and there haven't been events for people who like to watch these things like the Oscars and like award shows that you normally would get right. your fix of fashion for the year. So it really was like a moment where you could kind of see people put on their Sunday best and kind of parade around. And that that was fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, it was really like kind of a non-event, I guess the most significant, you know, takeaway would be um, we were correct that Trump didn't go and he left that morning for Palm Beach. Yes. Um, so like we had we predicted. predicted that a couple weeks ago. Yes, exactly. So Kudos not to, to toot us. our own horn, but Hong Kong, we were right. right? Um, but yeah, other than that, like I thought Biden's speech was good. Um, I thought the general ambiance and vibe was positive. I really liked the Republican and the name escapes me, but who's the chair of the inauguration committee. Um, everything that he said and Amy Klobuchar said, I thought they were both very classy and did a really good job in some tough circumstances. So, you know, it kind of went off without a hitch, which is in this day and age, like no news is good news. Right, right, right. So, he, so here's my take, and, that, and your take does not surprise me one bit, but <laughs> I, I, I read some articles, and I did watch some highlights of the event, and so here's what I took from the, uh, the, the inauguration ceremonies. There is a national call to unity. Oh, we just want to hug each other out. Let's make Barney uh, the secretary of, of hugging whatever, and so we just want to be one country, one nation, right? It's this call to unity. Let's put the past behind behind us, and let's just move forward. Now, the reason why that struck me as interesting was it was only about four years ago during this exact same moment when Trump was inaugurated that the fake dossier was already out there and the spies were already, you know, spying on Trump. The impeachment plans were already put in play. So what do you think? Are there actually impeachment plans right now uh, being made against uh, uh, Biden or will we actually see this national unity that they are asking for? Oh, I mean, I don't think we're going to automatically see national unity. You saw um, there was a congresswoman, freshman congresswoman who was just elected, who during Biden's speech tweeted the hashtag impeach Biden. So, okay, you know, really? I don't, yeah. And I, I don't even remember who. <laughs> like, who I've been that joking was, about that. I didn't realize someone actually did it. I, yeah, I said, hey, look, so how long is it going to be? We need to do it over and under until the first impeachment. Apparently, it's already happened. Yeah, during during the inaugural speech, before he did <laughs> took any actions as president. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm not like that naive where I think like, oh, it's all sunshine and rainbows now. I do hope that, you know, there is – I've heard that there are some talks and negotiations going on already about, you know, cross-aisle – um, policy compromises. And of course, it's like in exchange for agreements not to do anything about the filibuster and this and that. And there's going okay. to be politics and there's going to be dirty politics, right? Like this is right. democracy. It, it's going to happen and there's going to be, you know, backroom compromises. And that's how things have always worked. But I think, you know, maybe there's a critical mass who at least in the however long it is, like 19 or 20 months between now and the midterm elections can right. like actually, you know, make some compromises and get some stuff done. Like, I think that's even that's probably optimistic, but that's, you know, something that we could hope for. And, you know, you know, hopefully we'll see some of that come to pass. I, I really hope there's not immediately like this move to, impeach everyone, you know, we'll see. See, here's why I, um, I think we can uh, just kind of surmise on, on Trump. And I know we're not going to do an, an entire episode on what his presidency was all about, but maybe his biggest mistake was he let his dirty, he, he engaged in his version of dirty politics 
in the open. I mean, when he lied, he just lied blatantly and everyone could hear it and then scratch their heads or whatever. I mean, he just, he said it right out there in, in the open. Whereas a more sophisticated politician, say Obama or Biden, they're going to know, no, you got to be more sophisticated and, and new and nuanced in how you go about your dirty politics. I don't know, but I do agree with you that um, uh, at least for the time being, there's, there's hope, right? There's hope that maybe this administration will finally uh, seek to unify both sides of the aisle, which kind of leads to our next talking point. We have this little uh, unfinished business from the previous regime, right, called an impeachment. It's the first time an incoming president has to deal with uh, the impeachment of the previous president. Uh, what what do you think is going to happen with? I mean, do you think Biden actually wants this even on the plate at all? Are they going to just hang around and toy with this impeachment, the, the trial of the impeachment for for the? I don't I don't even know how they're going to handle this. Yeah, you know, it's actually really. I think, <laughs> and we've talked about this before too about how it's it's. You know, sometimes or a lot of times, like people have knee-jerk reactions to things, and then upon further reflection, it comes to light that, like, okay, this was actually either I was wrong in some circumstances, or this is actually a more complex and nuanced issue than I originally thought. Or like your emotional reaction is usually everything's black and white. And then, you know, most situations in life turn out to be gray, right? So I'm not saying right. I, I still stand by. Everything I think that I said in our prior episode, like, you know, what happened on January 6th was catastrophic. It was horrific. Um, I don't think the use of the word, like, insurrection is totally off base, but... I also think, you know, there was, and appropriately so to whatever extent, there was like a, an immediate push to do something. Like the, everyone kind of felt like, or the vast majority of people kind of felt like, well, we right. have to, we can't just let this lie. Like this has happened and there has to be a swift response, which is appropriate. But here's the deal though. Right? Here, but here. now, like legally, what do we do? Do. <laughs> but see, here's my take on that. You're right. There has to be consequences because that was a, a horrific scene, though. Uh, you know, there's obviously rioting and looting all across America. But this one was a little bit different. It's our capital. We're going to treat this a little bit differently. Uh, the president did speak at the rally right before that. But I think there is this desire to just put that behind this administration. They want feel-good times uh, ahead. They don't want to dig up the past. Uh, and so once they get, let's just say, one month into this, are they going to want to go back and now relive that moment uh, when they when they maybe are making strides on new things? I think, here's my, here's my prediction. Again, mark this in the tape so we can come back to it and see if we are right or wrong. Here is my prediction. You will see this table for about 30 days, and uh, the new cabinet officials are going to be, you know, nominated, confirmed. There'll be some debates on that. There'll be all of this matter of the new agenda going forward, and then you're going to see some kind of compromise uh, and some kind of way to deal with this outside of a full-blown trial. Uh, I just don't see how they want to see a trial and to put this country through a trial when they are moving on to bitter, bigger and better things. Why go back and relive the past when you're trying to bring a new positive future? That, that's my prediction. Right. And I think, you know, there is space to, or at least there is some acknowledgement by certain leaders and certain even members of the media that like clearly, you know, now with the past four years in hindsight, you know, clearly there's a very large segment of our society that feels very wronged by the system, by government, right? And, you know, we can go back and forth on how inappropriate the manifestation of that was. But really, there's some space and there's some will, I think, now to kind of engage people on like, well, right. why? You know, what is it that's going on that's really negatively affecting your life and that you feel like you're not being right. served by those who have sworn to serve you? And where, how can we fix that? And I, th I, I do believe that President Biden really meant it when he said, like, I will put my whole soul into this. And I'm sure he's not going to do it in the way that, like, a lot of people would prefer or whatever. But I think the sincerity is there. And I do think that there's some, you know, there's some 
objective for some public servants to really figure out to get to the core of that like what went so wrong that there is so much anger and how can we start to chip away at that see if we if there was a trial this is what the trial would look like i I think the defense uh, at least the defense uh in the media uh you know by fox news and other right wing type of media outlets they would be saying look this um the what the what the president said what was said during uh this rally is not really different in form and substance than things that have been said uh, over the last two years that have ignited riots across this country. And the actual rioting that took place here was really very similar to the rioting that we saw over the last uh, two years. Now, you and I know the difference. Time and place makes all the difference in the world. But that's not going to stop talking heads from pushing those uh, vantage points. And so why would they want to relive that? Why would they want to tear this country apart over the next, you know, six months, when they want to move on to bigger and better things, I just think they're going to tr- they're going to try their hardest to find a way to avoid a, a trial, so they can, you know, not have that kind of dialogue go on. But I could and that's wait I agree wrong. with you, and that's where I feel like, you know, upon further reflection, I've kind of crystallized my, I guess, opinion on on this, and I I do think. You know, we talked about the a criminal charge of incitement and how difficult that would be to prove and, you know, how tough the burden of proof is and, and all of that. But I really think, like, even in terms of in either impeachment or just, you know, ethically what what the president did wrong wasn't even so much what happened at that rally, which, don't get me wrong, was wrong um, and shouldn't have happened like the bellicose language in general never should. Um, but I think really the the fundamental wrong was the lies about what was happening and what local election officials and voters were doing. And that was a disservice to the American people is that they were lied to for months and months and months. And, and anyone, not anyone, but it's like, almost rational to get angry and worked up if you really believe that your country is being taken over by, you know, Hugo Chavez and the Chinese Communist Party. Like, you hey. <laughs> you, you know, ha- who wouldn't want to defend their country? And, and again, I'm not saying, like, you should take up arms and, and engage in violence in any way, but, like, really the, the wrong was the lying, not, you know, it's, it's hard to, to prove any connection or any causation between a statement and someone else's choice to engage in violence. But the lying, you know, and I think it's kind of evoked for me what the the chief of police in Dallas, Texas, kind of said in his statement after the murder of nine officers four or five years ago when he said, like, if, you know, I invite people to come sign up to join us. If you think we're, we're not serving the community, come join us. And that's what I would kind of say. Like, I volunteered and I sat at the polls for eight hours this year. And I would urge anyone who thinks that local election officials are corrupt and things aren't, you know, there are conspiracies and fraud and things aren't being, you know, conducted. Like it, it's volunteers. Like you can sign up and go be a part of it and, and really get involved. And then you have firsthand knowledge, not fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth hand knowledge that you read on a meme, like you can actually be involved. Like our country allows you to do that. What so I have like to you, say, that's to, like a step that you could take to not just be like festering in right, right. anger and resentment. And well, I think more I, people should. Exactly. A very good call. Very good challenge. You know what? I, my response to that is check out our podcast. Go back to early November. Re-listen to what we said we pegged this one from the very beginning, and so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But we, 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 you and I are both in, a, in pretty much in unison here in our, our, our plea. Hey, if you have evidence of fraud, now would be the time to bring it out, right? Now, let's not hide it and don't conceal it. Let's bring it in court. And actually, it wasn't being done. And so they were just kind of platitudes and, and things that, you know, they, politicians would say uh, to the crowd, which they weren't, there, there's really no evidence of it. And 
I'm just going to leave it at this. Just William Barr is an amazing conservative. He said there was no evidence of of widespread of voting fraud that would overturn the election. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> I um I probably took up too much time talking about football. I just couldn't help myself. Our main topic no of the such day. Thing. That's okay. It's it's you know. I the know. conference championships are just mere days away. And it's just going to get worse. But uh, the um, this all leads to our, our main topic of the day, which I'm sure we're going to have to carry over to another day to finish because it's just way too big of a topic. But free speech. I mean, all around, you've seen people say things like, hey, they can't ban you from Twitter. They can't keep you off of Facebook. It's going to violate your free speech rights. So we have this whole idea of this censorship by big tech, by Twitter, uh, by um, you know, uh, Facebook, and even the uh, like Google and those kind of places are, tr- are silencing people because they do not like their speech. And Mackenzie, this has bothered people from all over. Uh, this has bothered the uh, the ACLU is all up in arms, and this is a horrible violation of free speech principles and uh, suppression of speech. It might not be a violation of the First Amendment, but clearly it's a it's a violation of, of it's a suppression of speech that is not healthy to the the, the public. Um, what is your take on this whole free speech suppression that's going on across America by big tech? Yeah, so this is an issue that it seems to come up periodically. And then like recently, it just seems to come up more and more frequently. So you heard about this, you know, in the past couple of years, and then more most recently with, you know, former President Trump getting kicked off of Twitter and his Facebook account being suspended. And then, you know, you heard that certain people moved over to other platforms. And then those platforms were taken off of iTunes or not iTunes, but the app store. Scary. um, That is scary. Yes. And I, you know, I think it's awful. I think it's like, not only is it repugnant to freedom of speech principles, like you point out, but it's also like totally short-sighted and counterproductive because like if there's one way to really energize and embolden a group of people it's to try to silence them so you're making the problem worse by doing it like you're not solving anything Um, and that's like a principle that's a bedrock to our society but in terms of the first amendment like it's like nails on a chalkboard to me when I hear people saying they're violating the first amendment and it's like they're private companies like you can't Let's, let's unpack the First that. Amendment. Let, let's unpack that because uh, I want to talk, t- address these various issues that other people have thrown out there, and just either expose the, them for being a myth, or maybe expose the the kernel of truth that might be there. But you mentioned the First Amendment. Uh, First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging various rights, including the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, things like that. What did the founding fathers have to say about social media? Um, don't at me. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> right? I mean, it didn't exist they then. Were on social media, like I feel like Alexander Hamilton would just be like so oh. popular. Oh, if, if if the Hamilton the play is anywhere close to being true, then Alexander Hamilton would have been a master at the tweet. I would have loved to see the things he could have uh, posted or uh, that's not even the right word, but you get the idea. His TikToks would be viral. I mean. Right. So so when we look at the First Amendment, it clearly says Congress shall make no law. Now, Mackenzie, maybe we should even back up a little further because some listeners might be saying, well, Joel and Mackenzie, if this says Congress then how does it actually apply to local government? I, I've even heard that it applies to my school situation where my teacher can't even have a Bible on her desk because it's going to somehow violate the First Amendment. So how do we get to, from the point of the First Amendment saying Congress shall make no law, respect, you know, prohibiting your free, free speech rights, to, um, to, to the First Amendment prohibiting teachers from engaging in certain kinds of speech? I think it has to do with that pesky civil war, right? And um, states trying to to do certain things. And um, there were some amendments passed to the Constitution around right. the time of the Civil War, one of them being the fourth, 14th Amendment. Yes. And that amendment talks about what states cannot do um, and freedoms of 
citizens that states cannot abridge. Um, and then through a series of Supreme Court decisions, the various right individual rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights were incorporated or applied to the states right? Um, kind of through the prism of the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So the Privilege and Immunities Clause, the Due Process Clause is in the 14th Amendment, and those were all put there because they did not want states to deny people based upon their race certain privileges and immunities of being a United States citizen. So obviously free speech be, would be one of them. And, and so, yeah, through the 14th Amendment now, uh, we get this idea that state actors, so if you're school teacher is employed by the state if she is if it's a public school then the first amendment would would apply to uh to that situation all right so we got the idea now that that the the first amendment does apply to only to state actors still you have this idea that if you were going to look at the reasons and the rationales for why you have Free speech. I mean, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, the other drafters of the the Constitution, they valued freedom of expression. And it sure seems like the problem today with big tech, when when they silence people from social media platforms, and there's only a handful of them, right? I mean, it's not like we're talking about, you know, a thousand printing presses. They're just a handful of social media companies. Uh, We can probably count them on our hands, uh, the ones that are actually relevant. Um, then the, it's causing the same harm to society as what the founding fathers feared. Any thoughts on that? I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, that just highlights how problematic having a few huge tech companies control so much of public discourse or at least provide the platform for so much of public discourse poses. But I think, you know, on the other hand, we as a society have chosen and continue to choose to bestow such power upon these people. Like everybody knows, most people, the vast majority of people know how these tech companies operate and that there are algorithms and that certain speech gets suppressed and certain speech gets promoted and you can't find Hunter Biden's laptop and, you know, this and that. But but yet the vast majority of people, I think it's currently over 50 percent of people, their primary source of news is from social media. Right. That it is, is horrifying. And that is. is not necessary. Like they are choosing to do that, even knowing yes. the dangers involved. So it's an individual responsibility issue as yes. well. And there's nothing that says like we have to look, if you go out on a public street, there have to be public streets, right? Like, you know, luckily we don't live in, you know, communist regime where the government, you know, can shut everything down and there's no first amendment and you don't have access to, you know, even say, say anything critical of the government, you know, on the public street. Like right. we have those freedoms here. And but those the, the are social media, the social right, media, social media we choose to engage in our speech in a private forum. Yeah, the, the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, those are the public streets and sidewalks of yesteryear. Uh, that is where people gather right now to engage in discourse. So my my thought there is that this is this poses the same serious problem to the free expression of ideas that the founding fathers were worried about. Now, what do we do about that? You know, I mean, you can – I don't see how you – there's a, a doctrine – called the state action doctrine that basically says like, you know, the, the bill of rights only applies to state action. Like you can't, when it says Congress shall make no law. And then that was applied to the states and local governments. Like you can't, you can't apply that to a private business. Like you don't, that's not a state actor. I mean, there's certain limited circumstances that have been previously, you know, ruled. I'm looking at this Lloyd Corp versus Tanner case from 1972 out of the Supreme Court that, you know, it says it ruled that the passing out of anti-war leaflets at the Lloyd Center in Portland, Oregon was an uh, infringement upon property rights. And there's this whole line of cases about people trying to picket at shopping malls in the parking lot and, you know, the court or in a company owned town and the court kind of ruling like, well, you're like a quasi state actor because it's just like a public square. But those cases are kind of discreet and haven't really been you know, there's not like a huge body of case law there. And I don't know. They do exist. uh, They do exist. 
But I don't know if that provides the precedent. I mean, don't you think there are so many dangers of saying, okay, Facebook is a state actor? <laughs> like, Oh, I, I tell you what, it, it, huge problems with that. But I think just so that our listeners know, the courts have in the past look to a private actor, and that's what we're talking about here, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, these are all private actors. In the past, the courts have looked at private actors and said, we are going to hold you uh, liable as a public actor. Now, to be fair, these have been rare, but a public or a private shopping mall has been found to be a public actor in some limited circumstances. Restaurants back in the 1960s that would uh, discriminate based upon race, they were found to be public actors. So that's another context. So I'm just saying, I'm just suggesting that if the court wanted to, if a liberal court wanted to, they could redefine the law now to apply uh, um, the, uh, the First Amendment public forward doctrine to uh, these various social media giants just under the guise of this is where, well, I don't know. Here's the bottom line. The Supreme Court justices are brilliant. I mean, they're all Harvard, Yale, Ivy League trained. If they want to reach a certain decision, trust me, they can do it under a lot of different guises. Uh, I'll just throw one out there right now. Uh, under Section 230 of the uh, Communications and Decency Act, that provides cover for various social media companies that they cannot be sued for defamation or slander. Well, so now we have... They are being propped up by law, by, by state action. Because they're being propped up, now they are state actors. And so I'm saying the, the courts can do it if they want to. I, I'm not sure they want to. As you point out, that could be a horrible idea for them to find that they are a public actor. But it, it is a problem. Yeah, it's definitely a huge problem. And I think, you know, you you could amend the Constitution, right? But that would – that's – now, what would First that of look all, like? It's really difficult, right? But it also, you're not foreseeing the developments that might come even just a couple of years from now. Like, we don't know what the social media space is going to look like in five years. Think about how much it's changed in the past five or 10 years. So, that would be problematic. That's a very clunky way of like addressing this issue. Right. Um, Can you even imagine what that might look like? I can't. Uh, I can't what either. a constitutional amendment would look like. And that would be so ripe with all kinds of problems. I can't either. I think, you know, the, the marketplace might. Resolve it. I mean, you might see some of these antitrust cases kind of pan out, and maybe there'll be competitors where there aren't now. now maybe McKenzie, people I think... will throw in the towel and just say, "Social media sucks. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I've done it, so you can too. Follow me. It's great. You have so much more time in your life for meal prepping when you're not on social media. That's right. No, I I don't know where you get your recipes, but assuming you have the recipes, you're right. You don't need social media for meal prep. <laughs> But uh, I, you just, I think, touched on what I am going to make as my prediction. I, I, lo- I don't know why I'm in this whole prediction mindset, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I think this issue is going to be resolved by the marketplace. And now there's going to be a little bit of an assist here from the government, which I'm going to unpack in just a bit. But I believe that this problem that we've identified of social media controlling the free exchange of ideas is going to be resolved by the marketplace. In order to do that... You're going to have to break up these companies and enter in the antitrust lawsuits that have already been filed last year. I think in order for the marketplace to address this issue, you have to have an open marketplace. You can't have it be dominated by just two or three predominant companies. And so I think you're going to find some way that these giants of social media are going to be taken down. Now, any thoughts that the um, through the antitrust laws and breaking down these companies might be a way that the marketplace can address this free speech issue? I mean, I, I definitely think that there's a good chance that these cases are found viable, that they may even, you know, pan out and the companies could get broken up or at least penalties imposed for anti-competitive Conduct, but I don't know if the end result is in any way furthers the goal of free speech and communication. Because if the result is just we have more social media platforms and all the conservatives are on one and all the liberals are on the other and everyone's in their own echo chamber, like 
That doesn't further open dialogue at all. There's no discourse. I mean, discourse requires competing points of view, not just here's where I go to reaffirm my own preconceived notions and engage in confirmation bias at an endless stream. Like that, to me, it doesn't solve, it might solve, you know, some legal issues in terms of antitrust, but it doesn't serve the ends of, you know, encouraging free and fair discourse. And it's so funny that like, you know, you come at it from that angle and my creative angle on it was, well, maybe this is an opportunity to, you know, modernize fiduciary, the law of like fiduciary corporate social responsibility. And maybe (laughs) (laughs) courts will start to rule that when a corporation becomes so huge and powerful, they have a fiduciary duty to stakeholders, um, you know, to act in the best interests of stakeholders and not just the bottom line of their shareholders. That's probably like not going to happen, but that's what (laughs) I would like to see. I would like to see corporations when they reach a certain level of influence and size um, and profitability have some kind of social responsibility to the community. I think, I don't think that's like asking too much. Well, it is. <laughs> it, I, I think it is. I, I think that the almighty dollar is just is just too um, pressing. Uh, it's too important to to these businesses, corporates' lives, and so you, you got to break them up. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think that it has become a monopoly. Um, whether it was because they just became too big on their own, or through you know uh, improper purchases and acquisitions, they have become a monopoly. Uh, I, I think they're going to somehow be broken up, or the threat. Of of um, breaking them up is going to cause them to say, you know, what we got to have our own rules. But I think pretty much everyone can agree that what they did in this last election is scary. They controlled, they dictated the outcome of this last election by their suppression of speech, and that's just a scary proposition. Uh, and for those people who say, oh no, you had Parler. Well, but then people places like Google shut Parler down soon thereafter, and so. Uh, it, it's a it's a real scary time, and I do think that um, uh, it's probably best left to the marketplace. It's just it's hard to leave it to the marketplace when you have a monopoly. Uh, that that's just hey, say we're going to give it to the marketplace is not the answer when you only have two companies in the marketplace. There's no competition there, and so you're not going to see the kind of reform that you you, you want to see. Any other right. ideas on how this might be no, resolved? No, I mean. I- I don't, I think it's a really difficult issue and it's one that like everyone can agree is problematic, right? Like we could have a debate all day long about, you know, whether it was important for people to know what was on Hunter Biden's laptop or whether that information was authentic or whether Rudy Giuliani was in a back room somewhere, like doctoring emails or whatever. We can talk about that from a partisan standpoint and debate about it. But I think we can all agree that like nobody wants Mark Zuckerberg to be the arbiter of what's newsworthy or what information people have the right to see and the right to analyze. And like no one wants those few people to be controlling what we see and what we have access to, you know, on either side. And that, that is really scary to everyone. No one wants that. And yet, and yet we're still sitting here allowing ourselves. And, and you know what the problem is? It's like that, um, the documentary, the social network, like when you have to pay for a product You know, you can control, the marketplace can control what companies do by boycotting or just, you know, moving on to other products or whatever. Like, for example, the, with this past summer and, and people wanted Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima to change some of their imagery and, you know, this and that. And people put pressure on those companies and said, well, we're not going to buy your products unless you change this. And a lot of them did change. And that's like an example of the market, you know, speaking. But with social media, you don't pay for these platforms. Like we are the product and our information is the product. So there's not the same economic incentive there for the companies to do anything. Like they can give lip service to these problems and they have in these congressional hearings that they've had, but there's no incentive for them to do anything because there's no legal requirement and there's no financial pressure. So unless those incentives change, like nothing will happen and people will continue, you know, saying, oh, well, this shouldn't be this way, but let me scroll my Facebook feed. 
Right, right. Now, I'm going to complicate matters just a bit because ba- back when Colin Kaepernick and the other NFL players were kneeling during uh, the, the national anthem, one of the thoughts that went out there was, hey, what about the free speech rights of Colin Kaepernick and these other NFL players? Well, the, the law as applied in a situation is, yeah, the NFL also has free speech rights. They have a product that they want to sell, and it, it might damage their product if they allows people to engage in certain kinds of expression. So if you are an employee of an employer, that employer's free speech rights pretty much controls the employee's free, free speech rights while they're on the clock. Uh, and so under the law, whether it's right or wrong because of Citizens United— which is also based on the First Amendment, uh, you have corporate free speech rights. And so how does that play into, does Facebook have a free speech right here that we are not addressing, giving fair you know, uh, attention to? I, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm getting headache just trying to think of how you would compute all of those different uh, issues. Well, I think under Citizens United, they most certainly do. And it would be a, a huge problem if Congress tried to tell Facebook you may not deactivate certain accounts that you deem contain false or misleading information. Like that would totally infringe on Facebook's first amendment rights. Like that you can't force them to speak. Right. I mean, it just, it, it does. It almost makes your, it's, it's head spinning because right. th- these corporations also have rights. And so, yeah, it becomes like a huge mess and I, it's above my pay grade to try and like <laughs> tease out all the nuances of it. But I think the bottom line is, you know, it's a huge problem. And the first step I think is for everyone who uses social media to be aware of the fact that they are voluntarily providing free data to companies in exchange for, you know, whatever benefit they get from accessing these platforms. And I would respectfully submit that, you know, the harms far outweigh the benefits. And, you know, people, when you're on your deathbed and you're thinking, reflecting back on your life, you're not going to say like, wow, I wish I spent more time on social media. You're not. Nobody is. Like, it's just, it's not benefiting your life in any substantial, (laughs) concrete way. Not when you can be spending your time watching football. So you have much, much better things to do with your time. No, I, I could not agree more on that. Um, one other thought when it comes to this whole free speech idea that I don't think we really touched on. We have been focusing a lot on Facebook and Twitter and the other social media companies that really during this last election cycle suppressed certain ideas. That's one thing. But then when they actually went to President Trump and said, we are going to silence your Twitter account. We're going to end it. You're, you're done. You can no longer tweet. When they allow all other horrendous world leaders and people espousing all kinds of horrendous ideas, their fa- their Twitter account is still up and, uh, and, and alive and active, but they really targeted Trump's account. Now, in my mind, I am kind of thinking this might be the exception. I, I'm not sure this will ever replicate itself where you have a president who is trying to send out information. I I don't know. I just, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive here, but this might just be a one-time deal. If Twitter does try to do this again, that's going to be a a real serious issue. Any thoughts on specifically Twitter's decision to get rid of Trump's Twitter account? Yeah. I mean, according to Twitter's own policies, it's an arbitrary decision, right? Because they're basing it on the threat of violence. And you're right. There are like literal (laughs) dictators who are on Twitter and the threat of violence from some of the things that they say is, is much more clear and probably, you know, could be more imminent, but Twitter again, like they're a private company and they're allowed to, I guess, you know, apply their policies in an arbitrary manner if they want. I mean, whether there's a contractual claim between Donald Trump and Twitter, like if there's a a privity of contract there and there's some kind of like user agreement and and he might have a claim for breach of contract, like I don't know. But when we're talking about, you know, 
constitutionally speaking, like there's nothing really that anyone can do about it except for stop using Twitter. Like if you think it's a company that allows dictators freedom of speech and censors, you know, democratically elected leaders in a free democracy, then don't use that platform. Like why are you on it? (laughs) The memes that you're getting are not worth it. Like I promise. And lastly here, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And so the thought there is if you are an information content provider, if you do engage in editorial control, uh, maybe you should be treated as the publisher of that information. So the more that Twitter engages in suppressing viewpoints, they are looking more like they are a a content provider and they might take themselves out of Section 230's protection. Uh, That might be another way that this gets a result. All right. That's actually a really interesting legal angle, right? Because I think that has teeth, that argument, and, you know, wouldn't directly regulate what they can do, right? But by opening the door to liability, it would certainly provide that incentive that doesn't seem to be there now for them to kind of change their policy. So I think that's a really interesting angle. And, you know, when you go to comment, like when I want to write a comment on an article in the New York Times, like the New York Times has to approve it, right? Because they are public, they're responsible for the comments that are on their website. And most people don't you know, realize that you submit your comment has to get approved and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas when you go on social media, you can say whatever you want, whenever you want. And, you know, they don't have to approve anything and they're not liable for anything that you say, even if it's defamatory. So that could change. And that would be a very interesting scenario, I think. Right. So at least I would think that Trump might have a basis to sue um, Twitter, uh, and then Twitter cannot claim Sections 230 protects them because Trump will say, no, when it comes to me, you were trying to uh, be a content provider and saying that my content was not appropriate for your uh, platform, and so I can't sue you. I don't know. I'm just um, trying to uh, play a lawyer here in real time. Probably a very dangerous thing to do. All right. Well, you know what? We have got to get going now. Thank you so much for your time. It's a hey, it's been a great week. For a week that where nothing happened, we sure had a lot to talk about, and I'm sure we'll also have a lot to talk about next week because we'll have the Super Bowl to look forward to. So thank you so much, Mackenzie, and have a great week. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. 